Moncrief on News Talk. Now, as you know, many valuable historical records, particularly of births and deaths, were lost during the Civil War. People seeking to learn about their ancestors regularly had to try other sources. And one of those you might find unexpected, Jameson Distillery has records of its employees uh, spanning a century. Carol Quinn is Head of Archives at Irish Distillers. Afternoon, Carol. Hiya, Sean. Nice to talk to you. So uh, what kind of time are, are we talking? From when to when? Well, most of the records that survive for the historic Jameson Distillery at Bow Street, the employee records now in particular, they date from the 19th century. So we've got a data set from, say, the 1890s up until the 1960s. And exactly as you said, both because there wasn't a system of registering births in those early days, and also because so many of our Irish records were destroyed in the Civil War, in the bombing of the forecourts. For some of these employees, that record of them turning up to work is the only written record left of their names, of Hmm. where they lived and of their lives. Yeah. And so what kind of uh, details are in those records? Well, they're really fun to read because sometimes I think we think, you know, we've had a hard day at the office ourselves. But when you look and you look at the hours that people worked and the really hard physical jobs they did. So what you're going to get are their names, uh, the part of the distillery that they were working in, how many hours they worked and how much they were paid. What kind of hours did they work? Well, distilling was seasonal. So you had kind of like slower, happier times, maybe. And then in the winter, that's when things got really, really busy. And the distilleries had taken in all the grain from the autumn harvest it was would literally have been bulging with grain and lots of extra labour was needed. So you could be working, you know, a, a fair lot of hours in a week in the winter. Right, OK. How much would be a fair lot of hours? Ooh, it can go up to 70, 80 hours, you Ooh, know. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah. That was, <laughs> yes. And kids <laughs> today day. with their 50 hour <laughs> weeks. Uh, the, and and the, like how many people do, would you have records for uh, uh, over that span of time? Well, the, the average number of employees at Bow Street was roughly about 200, which, as I say, would be bulked up then over the winter. Mm. And the records that I'm talking about really are huge, big, heavy ledgers. If anybody can imagine, it's something that if you saw um, a TV series on Dickens, that's the clerk are going to be writing in these. They're really heavy. They're about, you know, half a metre actually in length. And physically, for me being in charge of them, they're really difficult for me to even be lifting up and down from shelves. And that's one of the reasons that we were so keen to get them digitised and get them available publicly. Right. Okay. And you kind of did a kind of a link up with Ancestry.com. Is that right? That's right. Um, partnership is the way to go with these things. The archive is based in Middleton, near our very famous distillery in County Cork. Mm-hmm. But we really knew that we had a treasure trove of genealogical resources. And what was the best way to get public access to those? So we partnered, as you said, with Ancestry, because they are the global leader in family history. And they sent a team over to the archive in Middleton and they scanned over a hundred years worth of these records. And they were made available now on the Ancestry platform, which is ancestry.co.uk. Right. And did it, when you come into, say, the 20th century, or uh, is there a cutoff point because of GDPR or there might be, you know, ancestors still floating around the place who are alive? Definitely, definitely. And 
part of our archival code of ethics is that we never release anything into the public domain that could cause hurt or embarrassment to living people. So that could include grandchildren. So with Ancestry, um, the records are released on a rolling basis. As each year goes on, another set will, will emerge. Yeah, okay. And, and and there are kind of, as I understand it, kind of notes about what was happening at the time. For instance, rebellion in Dublin, all employees paid full week, uh, which is <laughs> fairly decent to them, uh, it must be said, because I imagine the traffic was bad at that time. Well, it's not only decent, Sean, it was actually quite unusual. So if you're going back to that period, you know, the early 20th century, the law was, if you didn't turn up for work, you weren't paid. Mm. So it didn't matter what stopped you, you know, you might have broken your leg, there might have been an earthquake on the way. If you didn't turn up, you weren't paid. And the best example of that I can give is the Titanic. And for those poor, misfortunate crew members, well, I suppose fortunate maybe, the ones who survived, when they went to get their last week's wages from the White Star Line, uh, they only got half a week's wages because they weren't at work. Now, the ship had sunk, but they weren't at work. So when I was looking at the records, of course, we were, were just coming now to near the end of the decade of centenaries. I was very interested to learn what happened around Bow Street. You know, it was right in the centre of the fighting. Mm. And, and in fact, it had actually been taken over by rebels and barriers had been set up and it was held as a kind as a stronghold for Easter week. Oh. So, yeah. So that meant no distilling. So most of the employees would have lived very locally in the streets around, in Church Street, um, Aaron's Quay, all along that area. And they saw terrible violence in the streets. They saw men shot in front of them, probably relatives. There was fear. You know, there was panic. Mm. And on top of all of that, they were prevented from going to work, which meant they weren't earning. So this would have added to to the stress and the uh, distress. So when I looked at the wage book for that week in May 1916, there's a little pencil note that says all employees paid in full owing to rebellion. So even though they couldn't come in and even though the company wasn't obliged to pay them, they felt they were morally obliged to do so because the the stress was so much. So that was a really nice thing to see. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. The, now, the, the, and, and another set of records that you have is have how whiskey was was supplied to publicans. And again, there's something people might know. Back in the day, it wasn't bottles, it was barrels. And it was up to the publican to put it into the bottles. That's right, John. And that's what we're actually celebrating this week is the second release of records via Ancestry. And they're these publicans bottling agreements. And exactly as you say, back in the day, Jameson had two routes to market. You could buy a bottle of whiskey, as we're familiar with today. But to pubs, the publicans preferred to purchase in bulk and buy either by the barrel or, you know, those lovely stoneware jugs that we see a lot in antique shops. So you would buy your jug or your barrel of whiskey and then decant it back in the pub and put it into bottles and use labels as supplied by the distillery. Now, what this meant is that the distillery maybe lost a bit of control over the end experience for the consumer, because what was to stop the publican maybe tampering with mm. the whiskey, maybe adding an extra drop of water, maybe to increase the profit margin. Or you might have had a, um, a customer who had a bit of a sweet tooth. So why not add a little extra piece, a bit of sherry? But Jameson didn't want this because they prided themselves on the quality of the whiskey. So what had to happen is that annually, every year, 
the publican would sign an agreement with the distillery, swearing not to adulterate or interfere with the whiskey in any manner. Now, these would be signed on the premises of the pub, and because they're a legal agreement, it meant you had to have a witness. So the name of the witness and their occupation are added into these agreements. And that what makes them so invaluable for us today, because they're literally a snapshot of not only what pubs existed throughout Ireland, especially rural Ireland, but it's a snapshot of who's in the pub in the middle of the day, which is quite incredible. <laughs> but they'd have to be seen to be trustworthy people, I assume. Oh, well, there were pillars of the community from what I can read. Um, everybody's there. Uh, we see solicitors' apprentices. We see chemists. I wouldn't necessarily be getting my prescription filled out, you know, after that. <laughs> but also... There's wonderful records of occupations that are gone now. There is one that we came across, a harness maker. And it also evokes a time when the pub was at the centre of community. It was at the centre of rural town life in Ireland. It's where you went to find out the news. It's where you went to share your own news. And it's where you went to meet your own community. So we were very anxious at Jameson and Irish Distillers to make these records available because in the last few years, we've seen a decline in the pub and maybe the role that it used to have years ago has changed because the modern world has changed. So we really wanted the record of the way things were to be out in the public domain. Yeah. When did they stop supplying whiskey and barrels to pubs? Um, The 1960s. Not not so very long ago. Yeah, yeah. I wonder, did it taste different as well? <laughs> no, quality, quality and, um, you know, adherence to standards was at the heart of everything. No, I'm just trying to get you to send me over a barrel of whiskey so I can find out. Uh, that was a completely self-serving question, uh, to be honest with you, Carol. Uh, that's well, <laughs> well, I tell you now, pop down to one of our brand homes. We were at Bow Street in Dublin and we're in Middleton and County Cork and find out. Right. Oh, no, we've been to Middleton. We did a show from Middleton uh, uh, back in the day. Uh, not too, well, it was a few years ago. It was before the pandemic, but they didn't give me a barrel of whiskey then either. But I'd have to make I- room in the shed, I suppose, for that kind of thing. Uh, Carol, thanks a million for uh, speaking with us today. Uh, that was uh, Carol Quinn there, Head of Archives at Irish Distillers. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.